This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Toronto Rock are number one in the East, and a bye week allows the Seals to move atop the West. We get a classic I-90 battle between the Bandits and Nighthawks. Shanksy puts up seven. Steve Rommel, Pat Gregoire, and the lacrosse flashes Tyson Guy all stop by this week on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. As always, my name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. What a week seven it was in the National Lacrosse League. We are moving fast and furious through the 2019 season. And while we're not seeing a lot of separation, we are seeing a ton, a ton of great lacrosse. And this past week was another shining example. Other than that Buffalo-New England game and a slow start from Saskatchewan, all those games were pretty close, but they were all very entertaining. And that's what lacrosse fans love to see. I was in Vancouver for the Mammoth and Warriors, and while the outcome wasn't exactly the one I had hoped for, I truly enjoyed myself at the game. But I'll have some thoughts, because it's truly been, I think, the first time in a long time that I've been able to actually go to a game and be a fan and sit in the stands. Usually when I go to games, especially away games, uh, I tend to go sit up in the press box, schmooze with the media folk and hang out with some of the buddies but this time I got some tickets from the club I sat in section 228 right up behind the mammoth bench and had a good time sat next to John Lintz's wife sat amongst the Vancouver fans chatted with some kids saw Jumbo Elliott saw a bunch of lacrosse people that I always love catching up with and so I'll talk about the experience there but we got a lot of a lot of other things to get to as mentioned Steve Brumell um, writer for the Buffalo Bandits and the National Cross League will stop by. Uh, he's a great insider, always has tons of information on the Banditos. Uh, they had a up and down back-to-back weekend, so we'll talk to him live from Buffalo. Uh, Pat Gregor, as always, a chat with Pat. Uh, we'll talk about The Rock, the Eastern Division, and the slow start by the Saskatchewan Rush that really put them behind the eight ball in that game against Georgia. And then Tyson Geick, you all know the lacrosse flash. You've all seen it. You're all big fans of it, just like I am. Uh, he and I catch up. We go way back. Uh, we are alumni of Mercier's College together, although different times. Uh, but we have really grown a kinship between each other, always wanting to help, always wanting to see the game grow and be the best that it can be. And Tyson and lacrosse flash are doing wonderful things, so we'll check in with him as well just to see you know, what his end goal is and how he's enjoying the start of the season, maybe a few surprises, and maybe, just maybe, I'll get a super hot take out of him as well. There are some very interesting and cool stories coming out of the lacrosse world over the last couple weeks that I've kind of either neglected or forgot about or that just didn't occur to me to say at the time. But one of the biggest ones is this weekend in Rochester, the Nighthawks will finally get a chance to retire the number 24 of the legend, the GOAT, John Grant Jr. Georgia is in town on Saturday night. 
and Rochester will do it right as they hang number 24 up to the top of the Blue Cross Arena. It will be an emotional night. It will be a historic night. It will be a very memorable night. John Grant, obviously one of the icons of our sport. I was lucky enough to play with him my first two years in the league, and we were we lived in the same building together. We traveled back and forth to practices and games together. We were out eating all the time together, and I got to know Junior on a pretty intimate and close level. And there were times in his early career where John Grant was not a hothead, but he was a fiery competitor. He laid everything out on the floor every time he stepped out on the floor. Uh, He got a lot of flack from fans in different marketplaces just because he was the hated enemy. Sometimes he let that get the better of him. But every time he put the pads on and he played a game, you knew he was going to give you his best. I really wish that back... Uh, A few years ago when Junior put up 116 points to tie the record, that he would have had those extra two games to really push that season's total to really set a benchmark that eventually Dane Smith would crush. But this is an awesome, awesome honor for Junior. Obviously, the Mammoth retired his number last year uh, inside the Pepsi Center, so they'll do it this weekend in Rochester. I know Junior will be there with the family. It's going to be, like I said, it'll be a very emotional night. Um, a very memorable night. And a lot of people have kind of been asking um, what's going to happen once Rochester moves. Does Junior's number stay retired in Rochester or does it move with the franchise in Halifax? I think it's going to kind of be a similar scenario of what the numbers with the Philadelphia Wings are of Bergie, Marichuk, and Dallas Elliott. Those numbers retired, but not essentially recognized by that organization because the retired numbers went to Philadelphia. So I've been trying to figure out what happens with Junior's number once the Rochester currently moves to Halifax and a new team comes back to Rochester if that 24 will stay retired in the city or if it goes with the team to Halifax. But that's going to be a great story coming out of this weekend. Uh, I know Junior's looking forward to it. Um, Another story that came out Monday and... It's actually, funny enough, something that I was thinking about a few weeks ago. And it, if you haven't read it, go to Lax All-Stars or go to my Twitter account or my Facebook page. Uh, and the story of Ray Hodgkinson. And what an incredible story it is. Ray was a young, up-and-coming goaltender out of Victoria. Um, he kind of bounced around a bit. He couldn't really find a role on any team just because there were so many goaltenders and he just couldn't find a spot. So he's, as he called it, a bit of a suitcase, bounced back and forth. But unfortunately, through driving to be the best that he could be and succeed 100% at everything that he did, Ray fell into some personal battles and some demons and dealing with um, opioids and addiction. And it really cost him a lot of his career and cost him a lot of his sanity and a lot of his personality and a lot of his life. And lucky for all of us, and especially for Ray, he was able to overcome those demons. And he tells a very honest, truthful, and open story about how deep it got for him, how he was able to find solace in other activities to allow his mental being to get back to sanity. 
and how stepping away from the game and finding another passion in CrossFit has actually allowed him to refine his love for the game of lacrosse. And he's going to try out for Team Australia, hopefully going to make that club and play at the World Indoor Championships in Langley this summer. So I highly recommend you go read the article. I've talked to Ray. Uh, He's back in town in Victoria. He and I are going to hook up for the podcast next weekend. So Razorblades is going to join us on the show next week, and we'll go into the article, and we'll talk more about his life and dealing with addiction and, and the highs and lows of it all because if you knew Ray at the time, you probably didn't know that he was going through what he was going through. And it is a common occurrence in our society today where people are dealing with things. And it's not things that are generally shown outwardly. And Ray dealt with it in his own way, and unfortunately it wasn't the right way. Uh, he understands that, but it's, it was the only way he knew how at the time. And it led him down a really dark road. And I'm so happy that he's been able to overcome that. He's found happiness. He has a wife. He's got a dog. He's traveling the world. He's coaching athletes in CrossFit. He is an absolute shredded beast. One of the fittest guys I think I know today. And he is just as happy as can ever be. So I'm so happy that he gave gave everything that he could to write that because having gone through depression... Uh, myself and had some really dark times, I know it's not easy to openly talk about what you're going through. Obviously, I have an avenue here with the podcast and you guys listening to my voice week in and week out. I can share some things, and I'm very okay with putting myself out there. For some people, it's not that easy. So it took a lot of courage for Ray to write that article Um, and I'm very proud of him for doing that and very happy to see him overcome everything and be on the right track. So Ray's going to join us on the show next week, and we'll talk about life after lacrosse uh, and moving forward, and I really do hope that he makes that Team Australia and can put the pads on one more time and compete at an elite level. And it's crazy to think that the guy is still 30 and probably, if he didn't go through what he went through, could still be playing in this league, and who knows? Maybe come the WILCs in Langley, he just absolutely falls in love with the game 100% and he wants to drive into it and dive into it further with more expansion. We could see Ray back in the NLL. Maybe not likely, but we'll bug him about it. We'll pick his brain, see what he feels. But uh, go to Lax All-Stars or go to my Twitter account. Um, it's a very, it's an incredible read. I highly recommend it, um, especially for people who are going through things. Uh, if you don't think you're going to make it, Read Ray's story. It shows us, shows us all that as dark as it can be, we can all get through it. So those were a couple of a couple things that kind of that I had forgotten to talk about or just kind of popped up. Uh, we'll talk about a few other things as the show goes on, but I want to make sure I got those two very important stories out of the way. Week seven is in the books. Let's go back. Let's listen to it. It was a fantastic one with five games throughout the NLL. Over on the far board, Shanks shooting, he scores! A hat trick for Austin Shanks. Feeds it now in front of the net, grabbed by Shanks. Driving, shooting, he scores! Austin Shanks is fifth of the night. He has stepped up this season. Shanks, he scores again! Seven for number 11. 
Crowley trying to get to the front of the net. Shot behind the goal. Bounced off the end boards. Matisse with a shot. Rebound out. They score. 2 nothing. Philadelphia. A little bit of face washing after. The officials are going to have to break up this party, but the wing's up by a pair. Uche missing. Courier holds on. 50 seconds. The power play. Shot. Score. Kyle Matisse, the captain, scores a hat trick. Three goals, three assists, eight, four, the wings up on a power play goal. Schreiber shoots and he scores for the first time since the opening faceoff of this game. The Rock and Wings are tied. Now in the Toronto offensive end, a lot of room in front. Can't do that. Rob Hellyer will make you pay. He scores. The Rock take a 13 to 12 lead with 2.59 to go in the fourth. Kenny makes a stop, McLaughlin gets a loose ball and Tykey scores. Eli McLaughlin's got two. Beats Penny over the right arm. Ball to Jones, takes a shot and he scores. Big man looking to set a screen as it comes to shots. Comes to the middle, just with a shot, he scores! To Jones, gonna try and shot, hit the post again! Trying to get his own rebound, scramble for it on the floor, Logan shots, finds it, and he scores! And here is Stotts flipping it underneath the top, to scores! Ted left to shoot, flips it back to Williams, and he has to chase it down. Six left to shoot, Catoni with an open lane, shot, score! Zed Williams working around, shot, score! Yeah. We haven't looked the sharpest on offense. Stotts, he scores! And then McIntosh gets it back, Shatler looking for an opening. Poland kicks that one aside, Knight gets it. And McIntosh sends it back to Shatler, he makes a quick move inside, throws it, and Poland knocks it away once again, covers up that ball in the crease. And Poland finally gets it. Once again tonight, third chance for the Bandits, and they convert once more. Corey Small, his second power play goal tonight. He's up to seven on the season. The Bandits ahead seven to four. Black Wolves are 2-0 here with wins over former champions, the Rush and the Swarm. McKay steps into one, and it wraps in for the rookie. Corey Small with goal number four. Ricochet off of Bouquet's shoulder. And that body language right there just describes the night the Black Wolves are having. Buffalo continues its run. 8-0 run to go up 14-3. Buffalo would finish that game 15-5, a 10-goal victory over the New England Black Wolves, the biggest onslaught of the weekend. Toronto beat Philly 13-12, Vancouver 11-10 over Colorado, Rochester routing Buffalo 18-13, Georgia beat Saskatchewan 13-10, and then Buffalo, New England 15-5. Toronto never led until that final goal. Vancouver never led till that final goal. Saskatchewan was down 6-1 at one point. We saw a little bit of everything this weekend, and again, it just leads us to continually enjoy some incredible lacrosse week in and week out. But I think we have to start 
in Rochester as Shanksy puts up seven in one of the most complete performances of his career. And what a game it was. Everything he shot seemed to go in. He had complete control of his game. And when you have a hot stick on offense, you continually do everything you can to feed that hot stick. And Rochester was doing that pretty much every offensive possession. Down on the floor, where's Shanksy? There he is. Boom. The righty was in fuego. And he put up a career-high seven as Rochester put a, put, put a bit of a beating on the Buffalo band. It's got a little redemption from that game earlier on in the year. But it was a classic I-90 battle between those two clubs. I've played in a few of my day while I was with Rochester. And every time these two teams play and every time I get to do this, to do this podcast immediately after one of those games or before, it's always the same. It is a classic battle between these two clubs. You knew it was going to be chippy. You knew it was going to be high scoring. And you knew it was going to be an entertaining contest. It was all of those things. And as that game went on, as it got more and more out of hand, you knew things were going to start to get more and more out of hand. The amount of roughing penalties that were in that game was out of control. Just look at the second quarter. Five guys got or sorry, six guys got roughing minors at the end of the first. It happened again midway through the fourth. I'm actually quite surprised it didn't get more out of hand than it did because it very easily could have. But it didn't. Cooler heads prevailed. And even though Buffalo tried to make a bit of a comeback late in that fourth quarter, it was just too little too late as Rochester gets a much-needed win and keeps them within striking distance of New England. They're just a game back of New England for that fourth and final playoff spot in the West. But the Toronto Rock coming back in that game against Philly, again, another chippy game, just goes to show Toronto can win many ways. They sit atop the NLL East. They are sitting atop the NLL overall with a .833 winning percentage. We'll talk with Pat Gregoire in a little bit about this Toronto Rock Club and see what he thinks about this team that still, I really feel, is going under the radar. I don't think people are truly giving this Toronto Club enough credit. But I think it's time we all start to take notice because the Rock are the real deal. The other interesting all-Eastern matchup was that Buffalo-New England that we kind of talked about, and that game also had a fight near the end with Priolo and Suter, two guys very familiar, familiar with each other. And I don't think Priolo ever threw a fight or threw a fist in that fight. As Suter tried to go a few over the top, and then he tilt-whirled them down to the ground, and they both went... To the turf, cooler heads would prevail. Nothing really came of it. But you knew somebody was going to try and spark a team. And you generally will look to guys like Suter and Priolo to do that. And I'm okay with it. It wasn't a staged fight or anything. But it was, I believe, during a stoppage of play. So uh, those guys will automatically get tossed from the game. 
Uh, I know Evan Schemenauer, I think, tweeted out that he thinks those guys might hear from Brian Lemon, maybe for some supplemental discipline. Possibly. I don't think so. Uh, I was actually quite surprised that they weren't ejected from the game, just looking at the game sheet, is that those fighting majors happened at 8.05 in the fourth quarter. And I, I, again, just going off the score sheet and didn't see the rest of that game, usually a fight at the stop during a stoppage play is an automatic game misconduct. So if there wasn't game misconducts handed out at the time, then maybe that is the supplemental discipline handed out. I don't think you'll see any suspensions come from it. But I wouldn't be surprised if you saw both guys get game misconducts added on. And we'll know that. Uh, Usually by Thursday, the NLL sends out the disciplinary summary. But three really good all-East battles, despite the score of those two games. Obviously, the Philadelphia-Toronto game was the closer of the two. A slow start by Saskatchewan doesn't help. It's not something that we often see. It was very uncharacteristic. But kudos to Georgia for keeping their foot on the gas when Saskatchewan was trying to claw back. The other game, the Colorado-Vancouver game, unfortunately, as Pat Coyle said post-game, he felt his team took their foot off the gas. And for a team that just coming off their first win, a big win at home, Now they go on the road for their first game of the year. They had that game in control a couple times. They were up three, two different times. And then they slowly started to let Logan Schuss and that offense get rolling. They got an unlucky bounce off that transition goal for Brandon Goodwin. They went off the backboards right to him, and Dylan Ward couldn't get across the net to stop him. Mitch Jones hits the post twice in overtime. They get a reset of the shot clock. A loose ball falls right to Logan Schuss, and he's able to put it past Dylan Ward for the win. And a massive win for the Warriors at home, their first of the season uh, in front of 6,600 fans. Uh, A tough loss for the Colorado Mammoth. Um, Before I kind of go on to my thoughts of the game experience in Vancouver, uh, if you're Colorado and you're a Mammoth fan, there might be a little bit of worry. They're one and five, they're bottom, sorry, one and four, bottom of the West. They're what? Uh, they're technically tied games behind with Vancouver, but their winning percentage is worse, so they are technically in fifth. But they're still within striking distance of the playoffs. They just need to find a way to right the ship and play a full 60 minutes. They're off the Buffalo this weekend. Um, but one concerning thing has to be the fact that Jeremy Noble has not scored a goal in the last four games for the Colorado Mammoth. Jeremy Noble has two goals. Those two goals came in the first game of the year against San Diego. Since then, he's had 13 assists. Great. But he has yet to put a ball in the net. He had nine shots in Vancouver. Six of them were on target. His his on-target shooting percentage is probably the best it's ever been. Unfortunately, He's just unable to find the back of the net. And I know it's bothersome to him. I know it's worrisome for the Mammoth coaching staff and the offense. And I don't know if there's an injury. I don't think there is. 
But if there is an injury, that's something they need to look at. Uh, but something just isn't clicking for Jeremy Noble. And I'm not saying that they need to sit him or anything, but maybe, maybe. You saw the Buffalo Bandits sit Corey Small earlier in the year, and ever since then, Smalls has been putting up five, six, seven points a game. Again, Noble's still contributing. You know, he he had three assists in the game against Vancouver. He had four against Calgary, four against Toronto. He's just snake-bitten in the goal category. I think he'll fix it. They're in Buffalo this weekend. Then they take on Philadelphia the weekend after that. So by the time Colorado gets home in three weeks, I have a feeling Noble will have it figured out. But he needs to figure out pretty quick because they can't have one of their best players with only two goals by the time they return home. And that's got to be a bit concerning. As for the game experience in Vancouver, uh, as mentioned, there were 6,600 people there. Um, I got there a little bit early. I wanted to see the guys. I wanted to check the place out. I hadn't ever watched a game in Rogers Arena. I'd only played there. Um, so it was pretty cool to be able to sit in the stands and, and watch the game. And for the most part, I thought the crowd interaction and the in-game entertainment was really good. Um, I agree that, and it's kind of always been my thing, that music can be for some and can't be, for, it's not always a thing for some others. There were times when I wish I didn't hear the music. There were times where I enjoyed the music. But for me, it's the lack of game sounds that's missing. And usually when I'm calling games, obviously um, we're unable to hear all the things that are going on on the floor, and usually I don't hear the game sound. And when you're playing, you don't hear the music generally anyway. It's more of an audience thing. But it's the squeaks of the shoes. It's the slashing. It's, it's the checks. It's the talk between players. Those little nuances of the game that... I miss being able to hear. And it was at times it was almost as if I was watching the game on TV and I had headphones out. And I was listening to music while watching the game because he couldn't hear anything. Now, that wasn't because the music was too loud or anything. It was just the dynamics of everything. And I was sitting next to a friend of mine who had, has been to a ton of games both summer and, and NLL, and she had mentioned... That why you know why do they use turf? Why aren't they using concrete like in the summer? I said, well, it's not exactly easy to put concrete in during hockey season. You have to flood the ice every time. So maybe they go to the parquet like they have in Burnaby or in New West, where you'd still get the audible sounds of the game. It's still easy to maintain. You can take it in and out in a snap. Might even be easier to store than those giant turf rolls. But now that you've got 11 or 12 teams with these brand-new fancy turfs, you're not going to make them scrap those and everyone go buy parquet. But maybe one day down the road, they either gas the music or they gas the turf and bring in the parquet. I Honestly, unfortunately, I don't think any of those are going to happen. Because if you take the music away and you just have the game... There's still no game sounds. You might be able to hear some of it a little better, 
but you're still not going to hear everything because the turf deadens all sound. So I thought the the fan interaction was great. The halftime games were great. The, the announcers, the DJ, everything was good. I enjoyed myself at the Vancouver game. I really did. I just didn't like Logan Shaw scoring in overtime. So he and I are friends off for a little bit. Steve Rommel and I are pretty good friends. I'm a big fan of his and his writing that he does. Uh, and he was covering the Bandits. Actually, he was in Florida covering the Bandits. But he's well aware of all the ins and outs of everything Bandito. And he and I caught up on Tuesday. And he had a lot of things to say. But as I enjoy shorts and t-shirt weather, I have to ask him why the heck he still lives in cold Buffalo. For some reason, my wife and daughter and I decided to fly home from Florida into Buffalo right before we get two feet of snow and sub-zero temperatures. So I'm not sure what we were thinking. Well, at least you got home and you're safe and sound, feet up on the couch, wearing your onesie. That's all correct. Every part of it. That is all correct. Um, Let's go back to the the accordingly scenario. How do you think uh, Tavares and Kilgore have worked out um, as sort of co-coaches? I think they've done well, and I think uh, what affords them this opportunity to be successful co-head coaches is the amount of time they've had together both on the floor and behind the bench. These are two guys who played uh, two, you know, storied careers as bandits at the same time. And uh, Richie joined the coaching staff uh, before John did, but was still, you know, John was still playing while Richie was coaching. And uh, these guys just know each other well on and off the floor. Um, I can't predict whether this is going to be the way they go going forward, meaning in years to come. Are they going to stick with two head coaches? Um, I don't think there's any pride there between these two guys. I think that they realize that, you know, one is an offensive-minded coach and one of is a defensive-minded coach, so I don't think there'll be a whole lot of butting of heads as far as that goes. Uh, I just think that it's a good dynamic, that they have a unique situation with the relationship that Richie and JT have, and uh, so far translating into success this year. And have I seen Rusty Kruger on the bench? Yes, uh, brought down from scouting and now as an assistant coach. Coach Tavares talks very highly, uh, speaks very highly of Rusty, who has, you know, paid dues as a scout for this team for a long time and uh, sees the game well. And now behind the bench is, from what I've heard, which is only from JT, uh, he's incredibly happy with what Rusty is providing uh, to the players and the coaching staff with his role behind the bench. Seven games in, Bandits are five and two, a half game out of first behind uh, the Toronto Rock. Is this a good spot for this team? Are they happy where they're at right now? I think they they have to be. Uh, I talked to Trugger uh, off the record, not in an official interview, but I don't feel like I'm breaching confidence in saying uh, he, he wants more consistency. And uh, we, we've seen that from game to game, from Saturday to Sunday. It was kind of a bit of, a bit of Jekyll and Hyde. I'm sure we'll get into that as far as Rochester and New England. But uh, so far, I think that they should be pretty happy with where they are. Um, no, no bad losses, maybe. I mean, Toronto's a great team, and they lost to them. You know, in Toronto's first game of the year, and Toronto looks like they're a very, very good team. And uh, the Rochester game, in, I think the Nighthawks were, were pretty peeved by how that last game went. So yeah. uh, I think 5-2 and two was a great start, especially for a team that has finished last in the last two seasons. Yeah, their two losses have been by five goals in each of those games, one to Toronto and then this most recent one to Rochester. What do you make uh, out of this Rochester game on Saturday? Was it just a simple fact of uh, the Rochester team 
upset of how they were handled in the first meeting, or was this a, a Buffalo team that just didn't come with their heads in the game? I think it's a, a combination of so many factors. Buffalo all-time is something like now 11-21 and 21 in Rochester in the regular season, and like, this is not correct, but it's close, 1-4 in the postseason. Uh, they cannot win in that barn for whatever reason, whether it's the ghost of the Blue Cross Arena or the Nighthawks just really like playing at home. I don't know, but the Bandits have always struggled to win in that barn. And uh, add that to the fact that Rochester, yeah, they were missed by how that first game went. When you know they had to be fired up to try to get a couple past Vino, and instead they score four, and uh, the game was never in reach for them. And Buffalo just kind of trounced them on their turf. Uh, I'm not going to say Buffalo played well. Anytime that that the game ends up as lopsided as it was, you, you didn't play well. But I think Rochester had a whole lot to do with the outcome of that game, maybe more so than the Bandits. Obviously, as that game went on, the temper started to build, and we saw the hatred between Buffalo and Rochester build. Um, I'm glad it didn't boil over into too much unnecessary stuff, but we can expect that when these two teams play. That's how it should be. When when, when mm-hmm. two teams are, are competitive and are that geographically close to each other and play each other as often as they do, there was a, you know, an issue, I'll call it an issue because it is what it was, with the schedule three or four years ago where Buffalo and Rochester would play five to six times a year. Oh, yeah. Like just divisionally, you didn't play each team home and away. You played each team home or away. And, and um, so you would uh, – and that actually might still be the case as far as not playing each team home and away. Have they changed that? I'm, I'm blinking between hockey and lacrosse now. But regardless, they, they are so close to each other. The fans travel. You, you have things going on like Jammer not shaking Vino's hand. And people could be upset by that. I don't remember. So that's, that's yeah. sports, man. Like, you know what? We wanted you to be a part of our team going forward, and I'm certainly glad that Vince made the decision to sign in Buffalo. But, you know, I understand that this is a, these are real people with real emotions. And, uh, yeah, tempers did flare up, but this is their second time playing. Buffalo took it to Rochester the first game. Rochester takes it to Buffalo this game. Now both teams are pissed off about something. And, yeah. yeah, it's going to boil over a little bit, and that's okay. I think that's a good thing for the sport and a good thing for the league and a good thing for the rivalry. And we don't see these two teams play until February 22nd when they'll get a chance to split the tie. Um, Before we move on to the Sunday game against New England, um, do you think when this whole Rochester-Halifax switch-o-change-o happens that the rivalry is still going to stay with this new-look Rochester team? That's a good question. It's going to depend, I think, if Rochester is competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that might seem like the easy answer, but if Rochester comes in and they're not competitive, I don't think there'll be much rivalry there because you know it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting time of navigation with fan bases. You know, the, the, are the Bandits fans going to hate this Rochester team because they don't know anybody? You know, part yeah. of the reason that you hate the Nighthawks is John Grant Jr. and and uh, the Gates and you know Jameson. When, when you roll into Rochester and you're playing against some of the best players in the league. That's where the hatred stems from, even including Matt Vince and that, right? When Bandit mm-hmm. fans walk into the Blue Cross Arena, part of the reason that they're fired up is the guys on that roster. Now, that's, that being said, we don't know what the roster will look like. It'll be a bit of a feeling out period for Nighthawks fans, for sure. Um, if they're competitive, the fans are going to come out and go, and then they're going to have a rivalry because that barn will be excited and, and lit up and, um, I think there's a lot of Nighthawks fans who might be a little bit disappointed that they're quote-unquote losing their team. But, you know, it remains to be seen how that's going to work out. One thing that I'll say, 
I'm not sure, and I'm not blaming anybody for this. I'm not sure people know exactly what's happening with Rochester and Halifax. I don't know if fans know, understand that, like, Cody Jameson will be playing in in Halifax next year, barring some crazy situation, and, like, the the expansion team will be the Nighthawks. It's a little bit confusing. So that's going to play a role, too, that if people who are not necessarily diehard fans buy Nighthawks tickets next year and don't recognize the roster, that's not going to help the rivalry at all. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, the next night after that game against Rochester, they hop on the old sleeper bus. They spend the eight or whatever hours driving up to Uncasville. Uh, that's always a good bonding time for a team, but it's not exactly the easiest thing to ride that bus and have to play a game the next night. But they showed their true form coming out and really putting the boots in New England on Sunday. Yeah, and the fan, for fans that don't know, Buffalo did fly out there uh, originally when New England first came into the league, but they realized that by the time they get to the airport, check through security, board the plane, fly, land in Boston, get off the plane, get all their equipment on a bus, it literally took just as long. And yeah. now they have they have the opportunity to sleep, to relax, to just kind of get on the bus and head straight out there, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Instead of it being a plane, train, automobile, horse and carriage, just a bus now. And they, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Um, is is definitely the better way. So th- that is why they took a bus from Rochester to New England. But in addition to that, um, we, we've seen a lot of times the team on the second leg of a back-to-back, for whatever reason, plays better. Now, I know when Blaine Harrison was coaching in New England, he said they would always play better on a back-to-back because they didn't practice midweek. So they mm-hmm. have that game Friday or Saturday to get the feet wet. And I think for, for Buffalo, they don't have that issue. Obviously, they practice midweek every week, but they did benefit from you know, just that synergy of having played the night before. Corey Small told us uh, after last week's home game that sometimes the passes are a little crisper in the second game. And that seemed to be the case. Buffalo, the the perfect storm of being angry from the result in Rochester and wanting to get that taste out of their mouth, but also kind of revving up the engines as a team and as a unit. You mentioned the bonding experience. You would know more about that than me. But they certainly showed what can happen. Uh, that's that's the, the textbook definition of a bounce-back game. This is a team that has some good veteran experience that's still not very old. We look at guys like Corey Small and Dane Smith uh, and Sean Evans. But the youth that is in this team, especially second-year, third-year guys, Chase Fraser, Thomas Hogarth, uh, Bryce Sweeting, those are the types of guys that really have impacted this team in a cohesive kind of way and brought a nice edge to this club. I think you love to see it if you're a fan of the team in particular. Um, who would have projected at this point? First off, who would have thought that Thomas Hogarth would have this role with the team? Yeah, right. Yeah. Be it an everyday starter, be it out the front door, because when you looked at the talent that they had, even if you were filling out the roster and had Hogarth as an everyday starter, and this is no offense to his game because he's a great player, you might have said transition or defense, right? Yeah. And, and here he is out the front door and immediately makes an impact in game one. Uh, in Philadelphia, and has just been picking up goals since. And it's great to see Frazier settling into a bit of a face-off guy in addition to scoring three goals on Sunday and, and providing some offense. Sweeting, uh, they, they love guys that can get up the floor, and that guy can fly. He's, he's been already showing his prowess to scoop a loose ball and get that ball moving up the floor. So it's great to see, and if you're the bandits, you have to be incredibly happy because everyone knows Evans is going to get his. Everyone knows Dane is going to get his. And then all of a sudden, Thomas Hogarth is grabbing rebounds off the back yeah. and scoring on a quick stick. How do you plan for that? It's, it's, it's the secondary scoring that exists in every sport that teams wish, wish 
they could get or hope they can get. And Buffalo's getting it with guys like Frazier and Hogarth playing significant roles alongside, you know, MVP caliber talent and Sean Evans and Dave Smith. It's a, it is a really, it's a, a good mix up, a good recipe for a success this year if you're the bandits. A lot of people were wondering as their careers went along, as they got more familiar with each other, if Dane and Sean were going to be able to create that chemistry. I know Dane's missed a couple games with injuries, but in the long term, it looks like those two guys are playing quite well together. Yeah, I think that they're they're both professionals. I think that John Tavares is a great guy to have coaching them because mm-hmm. he's a guy that can say he can get. And I'm not saying he has to do this, but he can say something like, "Guys, knock it off," and they're going to listen because they yeah. played with him, they played mm-hmm. beside him. Uh, this is not an instance of the coach, you know, flexing his coach muscle. This is a guy who, who let's face it, he had to share the left side. <laughs> you know, the best, arguably the best player to ever suit up had to share the left side with talent throughout his career. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not an instance of him not understanding what it means to share the ball because he did it, and he did it very well. Uh, but I think it's interesting, and I know Byrne missed this weekend, but quite quite a duo that Josh Byrne and Sean Evans have become. Not yeah. only, you know, both racking up the points, but it seems like a lot of primary shifts on each other's goals. A lot of times, Burns to Evans for a goal or Evans to Burn for a goal, one of those guys cutting down the middle and the other guy finding them. It's been fun to see a second-year player in Josh Burns, just a firecracker rookie who is incredibly athletic, and then you have Evans who knows what to do with the ball and his stick. Uh, it's been really fun to watch the two of them kind of have a little bit of synergy, even with Dane back in the lineup, but when he wasn't, and now that he is, uh, now Burns out, but it's been fun to watch Evans and Burns kind of find some teamwork, some synergy on the floor. Is there an update on Josh Byrne? I have not heard. I actually hadn't heard anything formal. Uh, the the only thing that I heard, it's always tougher when they're on the road, of course, but the only thing that I heard officially, uh, both from Dave Buchanan, who was on the sidelines for that game, who had heard it from RT and from JT after the game, was they thought it was just precautionary, that he was taken out of the game, Buffalo was in control on the scoreboard, so as a precaution, they go ahead and pull Josh out. Lower body injury is what I was told. And, uh, yeah, we hope it's just a precaution. We don't think it's anything serious. And then, boom, Saturday afternoon, Josh Burns in place on IR. So I don't have an official update or unofficial for that matter. Um, I know pretty much what everyone else knows at this point. I'm sure I'll have a much better update come Saturday. Appreciate the update. Uh, one final thing, Buffalo, Colorado this weekend, Saturday night. Uh, it's the Braver and Brave Tucker night. Uh, both teams are going to be wearing uh, jerseys that will be auctioned off. People can bid on them. Uh, I've seen both designs. They look fantastic. Obviously, this game becomes a lot more special with Sean Williams being a member of the Colorado coaching staff, former bandit player. Uh, it's going to be a special night, but how important is this game for both clubs, do you think? Well, always a special night. The bandits tip you have to them for the job they do. I mean, the whole league does well honoring whether it's military like Rochester did on Saturday or some form of, you know, fighting against cancer or raising money for charity. Uh, but a class act, uh, Scott Lawford does a great job running this every year, always touching. And I'll always remember the night when Tucker came out and was sitting in his suite and stood up on the camera. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, getting a little, I'm like getting a little emotional thinking about it because that was amazing. Uh, so it'll be a great night. It'll be charged up and good energy for sure. Um, I'm a bit frustrated with the Mammoths because preseason I picked them as a dark horse to maybe win it all. Because you're frustrated Colorado. Come on. Yeah. You're frustrated with the <laughs> I said that there's times I've seen Colorado be absolutely the best team in the league. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not, just a, that's not just a blip on the radar. They've done it for stretches of time. They've done it more than one season. 
where when the Mammoth are playing, they look like they're firing on all cylinders and between Wardle on the back and the transition game with Cupido and with McLaughlin and Benny and everybody, they can be so good. And yeah. I'm sure that they're frustrated with how it's gone so far. So this will be a very big game for them uh, because they're looking for wins. They need to find them and find them in a hurry uh, with everyone kind of battling out west. And, and Hoover getting a couple wins and San Diego looking pretty good. And for Buffalo, they're going to want to keep pace with Toronto. Uh, the Bandits will tell you that their goal is to win championships, not to make the playoffs. This year, it should be to make the playoffs because they haven't done so in recent history. But uh, you're always going to want to be that first round, the, the top seed in the division. Uh, you, you want to have that seeding at every opportunity that you can. And I won't say that Buffalo is going to think that this is an easy game, but this is one I'm sure that they would like to have coming back home against a team that's struggling. So both teams certainly are looking, as always, for the win in the standings. Uh, I'd say a more important game for Colorado, uh, 100%, a more important game for the Mammoths uh, to try to come into Buffalo and, and get the big two points. But the Bandits won't be willing to give them up that easily, that's for sure. Mr. Bimel, always a pleasure, my friend. I'm glad you and the family got home safe and sound from Florida. I still don't know why you left. Um, but yep. I appreciate you giving us some time, as always, my man. Enjoy the game this weekend, and we will talk soon. Teddy, I appreciate it, and I want everyone to know you are one of my favorite people to talk about lacrosse with. Put it on the record. Sorry. Love you, buddy. On, on the record is done. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Take care, Teddy. You can find him on Twitter at Steve Bermel, B-E-R-M-E-L. Always good insight from Steve on the Buffalo Bandits and a lot of things going on out there in the East Coast, so appreciate him stopping by. And I like the dynamic of JT and Richie behind the bench with a little help from Rusty Krugs. That's a, a very knowledgeable, savvy coaching staff, all guys that played for the Bandits, all guys familiar with the mystique of that jersey. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, like Steve said, what they do moving forward if they stay with a co-coach system or if they hand the reins over to JT or if it's going to be Richie's team. I know I've seen somewhere where um, a couple articles or tweets have listed JT as the head coach, um, but I don't think they've ever really said one way or the other. I think they were just going to be co-coaches, and I don't think either one of them really minds, but maybe as they move forward, they might delegate one or the other. And having... Krug's on the bench as an O guy would maybe allow JT to stand a little more in the middle, roam back and forth, kind of like what Pat Coyle used to do down in Colorado before he was given the full reins of the Mammoth squad. But that's not really my decision. That's up to Chugger and the Bandit staff. The Bandits will take on the Colorado Mammoth this weekend in Buffalo. It is the Tucker Out Lymphoma Night. Both the Bandits and Mammoth will be wearing specially designed jerseys. Uh, they look absolutely fantastic. They have uh, the Tucker logo on the front. They have uh, patches on the back, a logo of Tucker up on the top of the jersey with some sweet trim. Uh, both sets of jerseys will be auctioned off during the game, so you can go online, put a bid in, and just help raise money for what's going to be an absolutely incredible, incredible night. Uh, as you heard Steve say, Scotty Loeffler and his crew do an incredible job uh, on this night, taking time to make the jerseys look special. Uh, I just saw a tweet go out from Loeffler that they are going to have specially designed balls with the 51 and the Tucker Williams logo on it as well. So just a great night. Um, Steve said it, you know, 
the NLL does a great job in a lot of their promotion nights, whether it be military, First Nations, or lacrosse out cancer events. And this Tucker out lymphoma night is going to be an extra special one, especially with Sean Williams being there. So uh, keep your eye out on the Bandits and Mammoth socials uh, so you can try and get your hands on one of those specialty jerseys. Uh, They are quite sharp looking. One of the Western teams that didn't play last weekend other than Calgary was the San Diego Seal. And oftentimes when you don't play and teams in your division win games, you kind of lose some ground. Unfortunately, or fortunately if you ask the Seals, uh, the teams that were ahead of them lost. And that gave them first place in the West. They are 4-2, and two, a half game ahead of the Rush, a game and a half ahead of the Roughnecks, two and a half ahead of Vancouver and Colorado. And if you think that this is an expansion team, I will remind you of Kurt Miloski. You know what? That's a good NLL roster they got over there. They're not an expansion team. If you coin them as an expansion team, you're a fool. Oh, Kurt Miloski, always great for a soundbite or seven. But it's true. And that was back in week three. If you coin them as an expansion team, you are a fool. And a lot of credit for that team's success has to go, as we've talked about, to Pat Merrill, his coaching staff, Steve Govett, Josh Gross. But more importantly, all of the guys within that locker room, to be able to come together this quickly, to be able to buy in all at the same time, and to work towards one common goal. I'll always remember Doug Locker's quote uh, when he was talking about um, lacrosse in BC and working with the National Lacrosse League as there was times where the BCLA and NLL didn't really see eye to eye. And Doug said, we all have to pull in the same rope the same direction. If we're pulling on ropes in opposite directions, we're never going to go anywhere. And everybody in a San Diego Seals uniform right now is pulling the rope in the same direction. And they are undoubtedly top team in the West right now. Unfortunately, we don't get to see the Rush and Seals go at it for a few more weeks, but I'm highly anticipating that matchup because that will be an absolute doozy. But until then, we'll just have to wait. But that is a matchup that could, could be a preview of a West final, maybe a West semifinal. One never knows. Still a lot of lacrosse left. No team's played more than seven, so we're not even at the halfway mark of a season. We're close. It's not quite there yet. Every week, we take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke Impact. That jingle means it's a time to chat with Pat Gregoire. My friend, have you dug yourself out of seven feet of snow yet? <laughs> yeah, did it yesterday and had to do it again this morning. So I know we said last week that it's about time for me to, you know, pull a Tyson Dyke and move out west, but 
I mean, the more and more this winter goes by, the more and more I'm thinking that it, it's got to happen. <laughs> um, he went to work in sh- shirt, short sleeve t-shirt today. I went to work in shorts today. Um, we could be golfing if you moved out here. So just oh, hurry up. Come and, on, and come make, on. Make the move, man. Just make the move. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, as always, uh, crazy weather can wreak havoc with plane flights and travel schedules for NLL guys. Hopefully this storm in Ontario stops the next couple of days so guys can get in and out of the Golden Triangle this week. We have a bunch of games, but uh, let's kind of focus on last week's games. Um, a crazy weekend in the East. Obviously the Toronto Rock moving to number one is a big story. We're going to talk about that, but I want to talk about just the fierceness of the competition between those three all-Eastern battles uh, and just the intensity between uh, those six clubs and just how we're getting to that point and the fact that the East is, is a really tough division this year. I mean, there there really should be no surprise considering what we saw last year and how crazy it was. It seemed like every week you have teams falling down and jumping up in the standings, and it was pretty much all the way to the very last day of the last game yeah. that we knew what the matchups were going to be. And it looks like, you know, with the exception of Philadelphia, who – now at 0-6, it almost seems like, you know, their bet is made and they're going to end up there. Uh, but now you look at Rochester, look how good they looked, uh, putting up 18 points. It looks like their offense is back to what we saw last year. Uh, now just one game behind New England. New England looked like they, you know, were one of the top teams. And Buffalo, you know, gives them a, a, a smackdown to reality. And then, like I said, you know, with Buffalo, they take a tough loss on Saturday but come out strong on Sunday, and Georgia does the exact same thing. Uh, It's just so tight. One loss seems like it can do so much, but also on the other side, one win can put you right back up uh, into contention. But like you mentioned, all these teams just battering and bruising each other in the East. But once again, Toronto Rock just quietly picking up another win and now sitting on top of the East. For a long time, it didn't look like Toronto was going to pull that game out, though. No, no, it did not. Uh, You know, that was by far the best game we've seen Philadelphia play, at least maybe in the first half. Toronto looked really out of sorts. You know, Philadelphia's offense looked unbelievable. Uh, I thought Matisse and Kevin Crowley really were quarterbacking that offense. The defense looked like they were giving the Toronto Rock a lot of, of troubles. Uh, but then once again, Toronto kind of waves and calms that storm. And just the fourth quarter, it's the same guys, the big, the big three that take over. You saw Schreiber, Hellier, and Adam Jones just being such big parts. Uh, a big thing for me, though, was, uh, you know, Jay Thornburg getting mm-hmm. in, in the action as well, scoring in transition because really I thought for the most part of that game, Philadelphia did a fantastic job taking away the transition opportunities, which is a part why I think maybe the slow start uh, happened for Toronto in that first half, because we have seen they come out really quick and and try to score in transition, try to dictate the pace, but Philadelphia was the one that dictated the pace, but the wheels kind of fell off for Philly. And once again, a huge fourth quarter for the rock that ended up, uh, you know, securing that victory. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, they're down uh, 10-6 going into the fourth. They get yeah. a po- Philadelphia gets a power play goal, but like you said, it was that, you know, four-goal run to start that fourth quarter, Schreiber, Hellier, Dormer, that really kind of stemmed the tide. And 
I think what we're seeing is the fact that the Toronto Rock can win in many different ways. And that's yeah. what we've seen this year. They've won in overtime. They've won close games. They've won blows. They've come from behind. They've led wire to wire. Is this the most complete Toronto Rock team we've seen in quite some time? Oof. You know what? That's a great question, man. I think you're right. I think that each, you know, in the last few years, we've just seen one or two things missing uh, from the the Toronto Rock to make them a legitimate contender. I think last year it was a very similar team that we saw to this year, but the injury to Tom Schreiber, uh, the inconsistency of a couple of players here and there kind of hurt the Rock down the stretch. Uh, but with a healthy Schreiber in the lineup, uh, Robbie Hellier playing some of the better ball we've seen him since his injury. Adam Jones, another full season under this roster. And we can't forget, I think probably right now you could say the MVP of this team is Nick Rose. He has been so solid. Uh, another unbelievable game for him. I thought his best part of the game, though, was in those first two quarters where the Rock really looked out of sorts. Uh, I think he finished off the first half or a first quarter with 13 saves alone. And then I think he followed it up with another maybe 15 or 16 uh, in that second quarter. And then in the fourth, he really didn't need to make too many big saves because that's when the defense really settled in, started taking away those opportunities from Philly. But, boy, he has been good. And just like this entire team, it seems like no one's really talking about how good he's been, even though you could definitely make a strong case that he's the front runner for goalie of the year. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask if he's an MVP candidate, and you already mentioned it. Uh, he made yeah. 29 saves in the first two quarters, only makes 11 in the second half. In the second half, so uh, that was a good defensive adjustment made by Bruce yeah. Todd and his group. But yeah, like we talked about this last week, and how Toronto is is kind of not being talked about as one of the top teams in the East, and, and guys being given credit. And I think we now have to start giving this Toronto Rock team the credit they deserve. As you mentioned, they're 5-1. and one. They've won their last four, and they're a game and a half up on both Georgia and Buffalo. So uh, they're playing some incredible lacrosse, and they're at the top of the East. But let's kind of talk about that Buffalo-Rochester game and what an absolute battle that was, and that's a typical I-90 battle. It was. It, it, you know, we saw a little bit of everything. We saw some, you know, unbelievable goals. Austin Shanks scoring seven. And that was one of those nights where it just seems like anything he was putting on net was finding the back back of it. Uh, we saw some rough stuff, uh, a lot of rough stuff, some chippy stuff, some uh, vintage Sean Evans getting under uh, other teams' skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, all out just melee ensued. Uh, but that was a complete dominating uh, victory by Rochester I think 13 goals against really didn't show how the defense played I thought we saw maybe the best game from Graham Hosick that we've mm-hmm. seen this season and I mean he's had some great games but that was the defensive dominance that we've seen and I think if Rochester is going to want to be a contender he's going to have to be one of their best players night in and night out and I'm not saying he hasn't uh, but I don't know if we've really seen the complete dominating performance that we saw last year, every single game we've seen it here and there, but not for a full 60. And that's what we saw from Hossack. And I just think that this was a Rochester team that, you know, they probably don't like saying it, but it was a must win for them. Uh, You know, they had a lot on the line. If you lose that one there, you're falling back into the standings, Uh, but it just seemed like it was a perfect, perfect setup for 
a huge breakout game, maybe not 18 goals. I don't think anyone really predicted them putting up an 18 spot. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, if anyone was doubting if this Rochester team isn't uh, right with every other team in the East, uh, that was your wake-up call right there. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, you mentioned it. We're going to mention it again. It just goes to show that, you know, teams can turn the switch just like that and kind of refocus their energy. And they're going to have a big weekend this weekend. they got a doubleheader at Philly in that home against Rochester. But it also goes to show that a team like Buffalo can have a bit of a stinker in their first game, headed on the road, going to New England, and absolutely put it on a dominating performance the next night where they only give up five. Yeah, and I think that was maybe a little bit of a wake-up call for, for Buffalo as well. Uh, you, you nailed it. It was an absolute stinker. They, they looked lost on defense. Uh, Matt Vins did not have a great performance, but his defense was also letting him out to dry. Offensively, it really just kind of looked like they didn't have much going. Rochester had a great game plan to try to keep them out to the outside, and uh, Goodleaf was making those big stops. But then, like you said, they roll into New England, a New England team that was riding high, uh, and they just managed to just completely shut down that defense or that offense of New England. New England looks has looked so fast um, and unstoppable on offense as, as sometimes, but I think Buffalo played right into their hand, per, or New England played perfectly in their hand because of how fast Buffalo uh, likes to play on defense. They like to get in your face. They're an up-tempo defense. And, I mean, when, when you have Matt Vince in between the pipes and he's on his game, which he was, uh, there's not many offenses that can, you know, tickle twine on him. Yeah, the defense of Buffalo really kind of got the message from their coaching staff to pick up the pace, keep guys to the outside, and not allow free looks on that bench. And they did a, mm-hmm. a fantastic job of that in that second game. Uh, the last game I want to kind of touch on with you is the slow start for the Saskatchewan rush against Georgia. Um, not something that we're used to seeing from the rush, and kind of just a, a different-looking rush team that we saw in that first quarter. They tried to find their wheel, tried to get their legs going, but they just got too far behind the eight ball in that first quarter, down six one. Yeah, that first quarter, that was that was the worst lacrosse I've seen that rush team play probably ever. Uh, they looked out of sync on offense. They weren't moving the ball. They weren't spreading east west. Uh, it just didn't look like their offense. Uh, and on defense, again, they just kind of they they looked like they weren't playing like a cohesive unit like they normally do. We've seen at times this year where you know one unit hasn't really gotten things going, but the other unit really steps up and allows them to kind of get caught up and, and get things rolling. But unfortunately for them, and in even, you know, in the case of their goaltender as well, Evan Kirk, it just seemed like goaltending defense and offense, no one could get things going. And it allowed, you know, a very motivated Georgia team to jump out to that 6-1 win or uh, uh, 6-1 lead in the first quarter. Uh, and then in the second, it looked like the defense completely settled down. But again, Saskatchewan was building, but they couldn't find the back of the net. And then next thing you know, just the, the, the second half was a much better effort on offense. They finally were getting the looks. The ball was starting to sink. But like you said, they just ran out of gas. And this is a prime, prime example of how you can't take off any time in the National Lacrosse League, especially against the top team and a team that you've had some history against in the, uh, you know, the NLL Cup Championship, uh, a team that historically you just haven't played well in Georgia. They needed to come out hot, and they did the complete opposite, and that cost them the win 
uh, in Georgia on Sunday. Taking a quarter off, cost a couple teams this weekend, uh, including the Colorado Mammoths against a game against Vancouver where Pat Coyle said that he just felt that his team thought they had the game won. They took the foot off the gas, mm-hmm. and it cost them. And then that's just the story of the NLL. If you're not playing four quarters, you're not giving yourself a chance to win. Uh, before I let you go, do you think Randy Stotts was getting a little upset that younger brother Austin was getting so much hype? Because now he's second in the league in scoring, and he's averaging about seven points a game. Yeah, I. you know what? I absolutely think so. I, I mentioned it. Um, on the uh, the lack slash on Greggy's Gamers a little while ago, I think it was last week actually, just saying how everyone's talking about Stotts this, Stotts that. Well, nope, not Randy Stotts. They're they're talking about yeah. Little Bro, and for good reason. But you know, people are just forgetting about about Randy, and he he is honestly in my books one of the most underrated players in the National mm-hmm. Lacrosse League, and he's one of my favorite players to watch. He has one of the quickest release, a sharp release. Uh, it just seems like it's in and out of the stick. It doesn't look like the hardest shot, but it just finds the right spot past the goalie. He'll blast through you. He's so big, so strong, but he's got agile feet. He'll dangle around you as well. Uh, he's just such a, a well-oiled uh, offensive lacrosse player that has so many different ways that he can beat you, and he works so hard too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is really a guy that I think at the end of the day, though, he doesn't really care if he's not getting the accolades as long as his team is being successful. But at the same time, you're a competitive athlete, you're a professional athlete, and you're a big brother. You're hearing stuff. You're hearing a lot of people talking about your little brother. Obviously, there's a little little thing in the back of his mind saying, you know what, this is a little motivation that I need to prove that I'm actually the better Stotts. It's crazy to think that there's six years between the two of them. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. And I mean, seeing them, you know, seeing them play together uh, with Six Nations, with, with the, mm-hmm. the Chiefs a couple of years ago on that Man Cup run, it, I don't know if it's ever going to happen because I don't see either team ever really getting rid of them or allowing them to walk. Uh, but seeing them play together is really special. It would be pretty cool to see them play together one, one day in the National Lacrosse League. Patty, my friend, excellent stuff as always. Until next week, stay warm. I will try and uh, try not to, you know, rub the good weather in my face too hard, okay? I'll make sure I send you multiple pictures. Oh, perfect. (laughs) I still don't know why people don't move to the West Coast. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. I'll probably golf this week. I haven't seen snow in two years. It's just the best. So I feel for all of you in the deep thaw, please stay safe. Don't go on the roads unless you have to. And as I said, hopefully this weather subsides and teams can get in and out and around the Golden Horseshoe this weekend because there are quite a games. There's games in Toronto, there's games in Rochester, and games in Buffalo all this weekend. Um, And if that snow is going like crazy, uh, some teams could have some troubles getting in and out of town. Uh, Thanks to Pat Gregoire for stopping by. Uh, I mentioned uh, Randy Stotts averaging about seven points a game. It's actually about six points a game. Uh, he's got 71 in seven games, but still, the Stotts brothers are tearing up the NLL this year, a combined 72 points between the brothers. And I know someone had asked Graham Perro on Twitter, the most iconic scoring brother duos out there. Obviously, you got to put the Gates in that category. Um, you could probably throw the Powells. You could throw the Miloskis. You could throw... Uh, the Evans is 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 because there's been 
three of them. Um, probably not going to throw the Jenner brothers in there. Um, we didn't do a whole lot in our handful of years combined in the NLL. Uh, but there are some talented brother combos out there. And I think by the time their careers are done, that Randy and Austin will probably be two of the best brothers to have ever played the indoor game offensively, statistically-wise, and just straight out, period. We talked about Warriors in 30, a Sportsnet show that's been airing um, highlights of the Vancouver Warriors game. If you're in Canada, you know of, you know, Blue Jays in 30, Raptors in 30. They might even do, like, Canucks and Habs and Oilers in 30 in their regional markets. Uh, I think this is a great thing. It just provides more eyes for the Vancouver Warriors. If you're flipping through on local channel here in BC and all of a sudden you're on Sportsnet, boom, there's highlights of the Vancouver Warriors game. And you're like, well, what the heck is this? And you sit down and you watch it for a few minutes. It's intense. It's fast-paced. I think more teams can benefit from something like this. I know every team after every game throws together a highlight pack um, and B-roll and stuff like that and gives them to the league and to BR Live. But I think if we can get it to more eyes, it'll be a, a great thing. And I know Sportsnet is a huge company here in, in Canada. Obviously, with the Vancouver Canucks having a radio deal with Sportsnet Radio, I was hoping that they were going to have games on, if not on radio, that maybe they would pick up uh, a little TV side contract. Who knows? Maybe in the years to come that might happen. But Warriors in 30 is a great start, especially for a team that's kind of trying to re-carve their niche, as it were, in downtown Vancouver. Um, as I said, I was at the game, and there was a lot of buzz uh, in downtown. People that I was talking to telling me I was going to the game, and uh, people were excited. They were excited for $5 beer. Not going to lie. That was a huge selling point for a bunch of people that I talked to. Now, just be aware that the $5 beers are the smaller ones, so that when you buy the big cup and you paid $10, don't be shocked like I was. Just be happy that you can sit and watch the cross and have a beer or two. What else you can do is you can sit and watch the lacrosse flag. Project Tyson Geick has started up this year, doing it on his own, and Tyson has made the relocation from the east to the west coast. He is a smart man. He is living uh, in the northern part of the island, working in radio, doing his thing, but he's also taking the time out of his hands to give lacrosse more eyes, a fresh, flashy look, as it were. And he and I caught up just to talk about the strategy of lacrosse flash, where he wants to go, what he wants to see with it. But first off, we talk about how he is enjoying life on the island. Man, it's incredible. Like, I have to pinch myself every day, and... I was just, you know, talking about the fact that the scenery here is unbelievable. Like driving to work, you get the mountains in the background and the oceans right there. There's just so much to do and every weekend is an adventure and uh, it's been it's been awesome. Like I, I can't see myself going back at this point and this weather, like it's nice, man. So when the summer hits, it's gonna be too much. <laughs> Probably. It will be too much. But at least Ashley and Pat are jealous of us out here on the island. Hundred percent. 100%. Um, the Lax Flash has kind of taken the world by storm 
over the last little bit. Uh, where did the idea come from, and how excited are you to see this project grow? Oh, it, it's been incredibly exciting, and uh, I'm just so thankful for the support that people have given and, and people reaching out. You know, it, it means so much. And, I mean, the goal is just really to grow the game here and, and to give the league some good focus and, and to produce some great content for it. So that's kind of where the idea came from. You know, I, I was sitting, I didn't really have anything to do. And, and after, um, you know, leaving the league and stuff, I, I wasn't producing that lacrosse content that I was so used to producing and I wanted to keep it up. And I knew that we had some great personalities around us and um, I, I wanted to reach out to people and kind of get them on board with everything. And, Everyone was so helpful and, you know, yourself, Pat, Ashley, uh, Jumbo, everyone's come on board and, and been really helpful with it. And I think that, you know, in the beginning, I just wanted to give everyone a voice and, and you know, let everyone talk about lacrosse and, um, and and produce that great content, like I said. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And, and it's been uh, it's been really cool to see how the teams have kind of got behind it a little bit and definitely the players. Um, the, the amount of players that are following us on Twitter and uh, on Facebook and, and getting behind the ideas is great, and that's what I like to see. You've had a lot of personalities on your show, mostly people who are kind of behind the scenes, as it were. Uh, do you look to, to focus a little bit more on players and have them on the last flash? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that's been in the works um, that I'm talking to a couple teams about right now is featuring the players and you know, that's what we need to do a better job of as the media is showcase the personalities in this league, not only the media, but obviously the players. And, and that's what the focus should be on. Um, there are some great personalities that haven't necessarily had the platform to um, to show themselves off, really, and, and make people fans of this league. And I think that once people get an inside look at this league and, and some of the players and the personalities that we do have, I think it's going to mean great things for this sport. And you know, lacrosse, sports is an oversaturated market, and we have to do things in order to stand out. And I think that, you know, putting great personalities on display is a great way to do that. And that's what I, I'm going to be focused on doing here. And I think that the, the fans really do want to hear from the players. It, it's something that hasn't been done enough of um, in the past, and, and we really need to do that. But I will say that I think the teams in the league have started to do a really great job, and you're starting to see – um, a lot of production come a long way um, from these teams, letting their players kind of speak and, and having post-game analysis from them and um, showing off the personalities a little bit more. You know, the, the Colorado Mammoth uh, did a feature on, on the Nobles, and, and I thought that was, you know, fantastic. The Calgary Roughnecks, I remember seeing a feature on Tyson Bell, and I was really impressed with that. It, w- it was just cool. It had a cool vibe to it, and that's what this league needs to be focused on is, is, is a cool image, a cool brand and focus on those cool personalities. I, I've noticed just here on this podcast, getting clips and getting audio has become that much easier uh, for yourself using the video. How important has the success uh, and the addition of BR live helped you in creating content? Oh man, it's huge. It's huge. I, I'm really impressed with the league and getting on board with, with BR live. Um, you know, it, it's definitely no TV deal, but it's so crisp this season. And it's uh, it's a big improvement. It, you got that consistency across the board. It allows outlets like SportsCenter and you know, maybe Sportsnet in the future, NBC, whatever it may be, they can use these clips now because they look that broadcast quality. And that was something that was missing in the past. You know, if you went to, say, 
um, New England, and it was a great highlight. It, they were just kind of lagging in terms of the quality of their content, um, and now that doesn't exist anymore. We we showed the Chase Fraser goal, um, and it was you know top notch, top quality. It looked great, and now outlets are able to to push that forward. And I think that is, that means really big things for the league. It's it's been really helpful for you know someone in media to to be able to share this content too. And, that, and that's the goal, right? Is you know I'm I'm sharing this stuff and. We just want to see the league grow. We want to get more eyes on this sport, and, and that's what I wanted with the lacrosse flash. You talk about Sportsnet. It's been awesome out here on the West Coast to see Warriors in 30 on Sportsnet, a, a, basically a recap of their home games, and it's a great opportunity to put more eyes on lacrosse that may not get out to Rogers Arena, and that goes all across the province and even kind of gets streamed across the country. I think it's great, and the addition of Beer Live and the quality of content and the money that – teams are putting into their broadcast capabilities and their broadcasters uh, just makes for that much better content. I, I totally agree. I sat down and watched Warriors in 30 yesterday. I thought it was a great addition for this league as well. And, you know, it, from top to bottom, it was great. Uh, Brandon and Brad did an awesome job on the call. It, it sounded really good for those who were just turning, tuning in for the first time. The quality of broadcast was, was top notch with the, the imaging. Um, you know, the, the crowd looked really great for those who were just watching for the first time. And that's something that that we as fans and media have been calling for is getting this on television. It is so huge. And you look at a league like the PLL, they've already, you know, signed their deal with NBC and they got so many people talking. It's created so much buzz. I, I think it's still so important. You know, we talk a lot about um, focusing on all digital, being all digital. Well, you know, people are still watching from, from TV and they do still have these TV packages, even if they're, they're consuming um, from their phones. It could be from NBC on their phones or, or say ESPN or whatever. So I think it is really important to have that TV deal. And, um, and that, that was a really big step for, for the Vancouver Warriors. And I'm impressed with, with that organization for, you know, launching an initiative like that. I think it's great. I think other teams really need to follow suit. And um, you know, the Vancouver Warriors, in terms of an operation standpoint, I think they've been a, a pretty big success story this year. Uh, in days past, you were the NLL Flash. You're now the lacrosse Flash, hoping to broaden your horizons uh, to not just the, the pro indoor game, but other lacrosse elsewhere. Uh, you're now associated with U.S. Boxla and possibly working with uh, the folks from PLL. How excited are you to broaden your horizons and show people uh, the upcoming youth and, and more broad lacrosse scope? Well, this is huge for, for the U.S. Box Lacrosse Association and uh, I've been really impressed with them too is, you know, putting some money behind this and, and investing in production and getting more eyes on the sport. And there are a, a ton of youth that um, deserve a spotlight and we're going to be able to give that to them this year. And I think you're really going to see box across in the U S grow because of an initiative like this. Uh, it, it's huge, especially with such a focus on digital and, and, you know, a lot of people being able to consume content online, um, now kids can go and watch top 10 highlights from their favorite players. You know, we, we've got a bunch of highlights from Trevor Baptiste, who's obviously graduated and he's now in the, the National Lacrosse League. So these kids growing up, they need someone to look to and they need the highlights to watch and, and uh, people to aspire to be. And, and we're going to be able to do that now. And I think that's, uh, that's really cool with U.S. Boxer. And then, you know, when it comes to changing the name from NLL to, uh, to Lacrosse Flash, um, I wanted to focus on, on junior A programs as well. And, um, you know, maybe the WLA and, uh, and major series lacrosse this summer too. I didn't want to just kind of pigeonhole ourselves. And um, there are a lot of leagues 
when it comes to lacrosse that deserve a focus and and haven't necessarily got that in the past and and you know that's what i'm hoping to provide and um with a team of great people and, and analysts and media and, and getting the players on board i think you know we can make some serious noise here so what's the end goal of lacrosse flash um like i said it, it's all about you know the publicity of the sport and and just creating kind of a, a cool voice for the sport giving people a platform to speak about it. Um, like I said, you know, it's in the works to get players on board too and, and hearing from them a lot more. Um, that's the goal. I would like to eventually be like a lacrosse network where we are able to provide hot takes. Um, it's free press. We're not worried about, you know, what anyone thinks. Um, there can be honest reporting about certain topics. I think that's something that's kind of lacking right now. And lacrosse is such a small, it, the lacrosse world is so small that I think you got to kind of watch what you say because you're crossing paths with these people. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes you're, you're not able to call people out and it's, it, it kind of stinks. Um, so I would like for the lacrosse flash or, or the network that will be to be able to, to kind of do that stuff, just like a, a TSN or Sportsnet or NBC Sports would, would be able to do you know, that, that honest reporting is, is so key. And that's what the fans want to hear. That's what, that's what people want to consume. Do you think the lacrosse world has, I don't want to say a sensitivity issue, but I I kind of want to say it because there are times, like you said, you can't truly have an honest take because we are crossing paths with these players and coaches and gyms that you have to watch what they say. Does lacrosse for as being a tough a sport is, do lacrosse people need to get a bit of a thicker skin? I think so. And and that's just the accessibility from the players to the media, to general managers, coaches, you know, presidents of teams. Um, I think that, you know, people need to kind of sit back and and watch stuff happen a little bit. And, you know, there, there are times when the media calls uh, people out in other sports and the players kind of chirp back and that's fine um, from time to time. But, you know, there are times when players need to be called out on, on, poor play or um you know lack of effort or maybe a team's not doing something the right way and um and the media needs to call them out i think you know it's it's just it's, it, you got to have that honest reporting and that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to is that free press and it, it's tough when there is some uh, some like you said sensitivity issues right yeah uh, let's focus on the national cross region and it's been uh, an incredible start to the season week eight uh, we're coming up on, and we've seen some early season surprises. Uh, the Toronto Rock are number one in the East. San Diego is number one in the West. Austin Thoughts tearing the league up. Uh, what's been your biggest surprise and your biggest story early on? Oh, I mean, it, it would be hard not to say the San Diego Seals, right? Like, we, we had we had faith in, in Patrick Merrill. We had faith in Josh Gross, Steve Govett, uh, Joe Sy, who's, you know, running the show over there, and for for them to to pull this off you know a four and two record um they're hanging in all these games frank chiliano and things around for for his career he's looking at, like that true number one starter um you got guys like brody merrill and dan dawson still totally contributing and being such a, a huge part of of that team and really leading the way there and austin stoss has has been better than anyone has predicted that he could be i mean i watched this guy play in junior uh, this past summer and he was good for sure. Like really good. It, it would be 
stupid to say he wasn't, but mm-hmm. to think that he would have this kind of success against men is, oh, man, he, he just every night impresses me day in, day out. So um, they're the number one success story for me, for sure. I, I didn't see after, you know, six games that they would be at the top of the West Division here. And then I think another big storyline for the league really is the, the parity again. And, and this year, maybe more than we've seen in a while. Like, any team can really take it. You, you look at a team like maybe the Rochester Nighthawks, who had a bit of a rough start to their season, but they can very well turn things around and, you know, launch themselves to the top of the East. And things are so thick, like Toronto 5-1, and one, Georgia 5-2, and two, Buffalo 5-2. and two. And then look at how thick the West Division is. This parity is awesome. And, it, you know, no team can take a night off. We, we've talked about that over the, the past couple of years that, that I've been associated with the league for sure. But this year specifically, it, it's really impressive. And I think that makes such a great product. And it's such an entertaining product for fans to watch. And, you know, even for the media to be involved with, it's that much better. Before we let you go, give me a Tyson Geik NLL Flash Instant access hot take. Oh, instant access hot take. Oh, that's a tough one, man. Put me right on the spot. Uh, okay, instant access hot take. We're going to see the Saskatchewan Rice and Georgia Swarm go head-to-head in the final game this year. Wow, that is a very hot take. There are going to be some angry people in Toronto and San Diego with you. Yeah, well. Hey, that's uh, why it's a hot take. That's why it's a hot take. <laughs> of course. That's why we need more hot takes, baby. More hot takes. Uh, Geiger, always a pleasure, man. Uh, great stuff with the Flash. It, it's incredible to see the work that you do away from the game to put a spotlight on the game. And, and we all love it. We all hope you have continued success. And we look forward to more Flash every week. Yeah, man. Once again, thank you for the support throughout the way. And, and once again, to all those listening, I want to give a big thank you for the support of the Flash. And we hope to just continue to produce great content pat gregoire has been a big help in, in helping out with some social media work as well and i want to give him a bit of a shout out and you know big things to come for this uh it, it's not about the money it's about the growth of the sport um i'm not doing this for a paycheck i just want to see the sport grow and get the support and the recognition that it deserves there is tyson geik you can find the lacrosse flash on twitter and socials like instagram and facebook just look up lacrosse flash tyson geik with an incredible stable of contented guests and I know uh, he hopes to reach out to players and I think if he can reach out to players current players especially uh, it will give the lacrosse flash that much more buzz uh, and help him help the lacrosse world gain more eyes because he's going to work with US Box I know he's reached out to the folks of the PLL to hopefully do some work with them and he's got fingers all throughout the National Lacrosse League helping teams and and contacting them Uh, teams are really excited about what he's doing uh, and so am I so uh, kudos to Pat Gregoire, kudos to Tyson Geick, and especially to Steve Rommel for just continuing to put out great content. Uh, we got to give a shout-out to the guys at Lax Classified, the guys who do um, all the podcasts throughout the world of lacrosse, because the more of us that work together to grow our game, the more people will want to attend and watch and learn more about this incredible incredible sport we don't need to be stepping on each other's toes we don't need to be inner squabbling we don't need to be creating beefs we need to be creating great content we need to be creating great avenues for this game to go down and i think all of us together fans included players athletes coaches gms media 
We can all do more to help this game reach the pinnacle of where we want to go because we are at the tip of the iceberg. We just need to continue to carve out that iceberg and make it our own. One more thing. One more little juicy tidbit. And I think this came from Jack Goods a few days ago. Um, He tweeted out, as we all know, uh, next year, Rochester is going to relocate to Halifax. They will become a new team. Rochester will get a a new team. Let's try that again. Rochester is going to move to Halifax. They will become somebody else. The Rochester Nighthawks, by name, will stay in Rochester. They'll just get a new team. So we're going to have to find a new name for the Halifax Club. And if you remember last year, uh, some sleuths had found out through uh, copyright websites, the NLL had copyrighted names like the Privateers, uh, and there was one other one I can't remember, uh, of possible names for the Halifax team. And I really liked the name Halifax Privateers. I thought it was a really good name. I thought it mixed with the culture of that town and the city in the area. I thought it was good. Well, Jack Goods and his sleuths have found out that the NLL have trademarked another name for a Halifax possibility, and that is the Halifax Thunderbirds. Again, I think it's a great name. They've got a couple logos. Uh, I think the logos, as well as a few other people that I know that are in marketing and and graphic design, think that the logos could use a little touch-up, a little redesign. But for a first kind of go-round, it's not a bad start. I don't know if this is going to be the name, just like we don't know what the name of the New York club is going to be. Hopefully it's not Beacons or Liberty or something weird. We all know it should be the New York Saints. I don't really know what I want the Halifax team to be. I, I've thought about it. I just don't know. I thought they'd maybe go something like Atlantic with their first name, but I know the CFL, I think the CFL team is going that way, the Atlantic Schooners, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe that's just something I dreamt. But it'll be interesting, as all team unveils will be, interesting to see what direction league and team management go with naming their new club. Obviously, with Kurt Styers going with the team to Halifax, you would imagine they would have some sort of Native American tie to their team name. Um, So maybe that's why Thunderbird has slowly started to circulate as an up-and-coming name. But we'll just have to wait and see. Um, We're going to talk, as this year goes on, about what they're going to do next year. We've kind of had some of these conversations And I keep having it with people around the league that, you know, we're sitting at, what, 11 teams in the National Lacrosse League right now. We're going to add at least two more in New York and Rochester slash Halifax. So that's going to take us to 13. And obviously with both of those clubs being East Coast based, that would take us to an 8-5 split. And I just don't know if the league wants to balance it at eight and five. Now, of course, we could see um, a Sacramento or a San Francisco or a Minnesota or an Edmonton or a Seattle or a Vegas or something out west to maybe throw a little balance to it. But next week, we'll talk about possibilities. And I like the idea of going back to what they had a few years ago uh, back when the, t- the league did explode to 13 teams, I think, and they had three divisions, I'd like to maybe see them go back to that. Um, we'll talk a little bit more 
but this week we're kind of going long on time, so we'll let you get out of here. But just put that B in your bonnet. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. If they only add two more teams next year, how would you like to see the NLL align the division? We'd have 13 teams. Where would you like to see them go? Thanks to Pat Gregoire. Thanks to Steve Brumell. Thank to Tyson Geick. And thanks to you, the listener, always tuning in, always conversing. Thank you to everybody that came up and said hi at the game the other day. I appreciated the beers. I appreciated the friendliness, the camaraderie. And I also appreciated seeing Jumbo up there in the private box. Until then, find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Enjoy all six games this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Be safe. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Let's go Rams. Until next time, be excellent to each other. Life upon the road is the life of an outlaw.